Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And so I'm starting uh, a, a different sermon series on, on this morning, and we'll go for a couple weeks. Um, we're, we're, we're doing a sermon series entitled Therapy for, for My Soul. Therapy for My Soul. And so this, this uh, next few weeks will be about emotional and mental health. What started, what started for me was uh, about a year ago at some point, um, this idea of therapy and counseling just kept coming, coming up. It was becoming a thing in the culture. And so for me, it started out as research to see if this was just going to be something that was a fad because everybody's doing it. So now everybody's on this whole therapy kick. Um, number one, I wanted to, wanted, to, wanted to see what that was all about. And secondly, I wanted to look at it and study it from a Christian worldview, from a Christian perspective. What does the Bible have to say about therapy and about, about, about counseling? And, and so I just want to, I want to put my, put my cards on the table for you. I am not a licensed therapist and I am not a mental health counselor, all right? And, and most of you are not either. And so we probably shouldn't be diagnosing ourselves with stuff that we don't know that we have, all right? Stop saying you got OCD. Stop saying that your friend is bipolar. Um, stop, stop saying that you got PTSD when, when you may not have been diagnosed with those things when there are people who actually have been, all right? And so we, we want to look at it from a, from, a, from a biblical perspective. And so what I did, because I am not a licensed therapist and I'm not a mental health counselor, I read about six books in the last three weeks, read about six books from cover to cover about emotional mental health in the last six weeks. Um, I had people send me articles and I also sat down with a real actual uh, licensed uh, therapist and licensed mental health counselor. I, I sat down with a real person who actually does practice this and, and I wanted to kind of get an understanding and a broad view of what that looks like from a Christian worldview. And so I asked them, and they told me, I said, what is the number one thing that people are dealing with as it relates to therapy and with, as it relates to mental health? And, and what he told me was this, is that the number one thing that people are dealing with is anxiety. He said that, that we are primarily a generation of people who are extremely anxious and that anxiety is ruling, is ruling the day. And so here's what I wanna say. I, I believe therapy is good, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that God is referred to in the book of Isaiah as the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. A counselor there means a trusted, a trusted advisor. A trusted advisor. And, and so here's the thing. Therapy is good. I believe that we should, we should utilize that precious good gift that God makes available for us. But, but at the same time, therapy is not the end all be all. And so we want to be whole and we want to be healthy. We want to be whole and we want to be healthy. But we don't want to, as Christians, we don't want to be whole and be healthy for whole and healthy sake. We as Christians want to utilize therapy, want to utilize counseling, and, and we want to be whole and healthy so that we can be more like Jesus. 
We, we want to be whole and healthy. We want to go seek counseling and we want to go to therapy so that we can be more like Jesus and so that God has a room and space to make more use out of our lives because we have been whole. And so here's the thing. Jesus' goal for us is to be maturing him. He wants us to be mature. But here's the thing. You cannot separate uh, emotional stability from spiritual maturity. If you are emotionally unstable and emotionally immature, there's no way you can be spiritually mature. And if God wants us to be spiritually mature, then we're going to have to get healthy internally. It's kind of like what James referred to. He says that the double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. And God does not want us to be unstable. God does not want us to be a private us and then a public us. He does not want us to live a duplicitous life. God wants us to be the same inside and out. And so this is why we want to look at uh, mental health and, and therapy for the soul over these next few weeks. And so the main thing I want to talk about today is this idea of anxiety. And so I, I have the passage where Jesus addresses anxiety. And this is what we'll read in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew, 20, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34 says this. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. Don't, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can, 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 can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe, just observe the wildflowers of the field grow. They, they don't labor or spin thread. Yet I, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying what we eat, what we drink, or what we wear. For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's his solution. Here's the antidote. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you've been stressing about and worrying about and staying up at night about and losing sleep about and pacing the floor about will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about Monday because Monday will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just your presence this morning, God. Thank you that we've been able to come together to worship you, Lord. Um, we thank you, God, that, that you speak to us through your word, that your word can penetrate our hearts, God. Your word can change us and transform us. And so today, God, as we venture into a topic heavy topic of discussion in our culture, in our generation, God, we pray that we would see with your eyes that we would have a godly worldview of what it means to be healthy and what it means to be whole. And so, Father, I pray today that the Holy Spirit would be with us as we study together. 
We pray, God, that you would just work in our hearts and our minds that, that, that we can even be healed today through the studying of your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would lean into us today as we lean into you, God, and that you would do a supernatural work from the inside out. So, Lord, I pray that they don't see me, but they see you. And so I decrease so that you would increase today. Uh, I pray that your son Jesus will be known, will be glorified today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. The people of God said amen. You may be seated. From the sermon series, Therapy for My Soul, my sermon title this morning is simply Anxiety. There's a famed, noted uh, researcher, a social and cultural researcher by the name of Dr. George Barna. He's the founder of what's called the Barna Group. They do studies, cultural studies, from a Christian worldview, and so they survey thousands of people on different subject matters, and, and it's a Christian-leaning uh, publication or organization. But recently, he did a study of with millennials, um, people who are aged 24, 25, depending on where where you research, 24 to 25 to ages to age 40, and and here's what he found out about millennials after interviewing and surveying a large number of them, he found that 54% of millennials say that they often feel anxious, depressed, or fearful. I want you to let that sit with you. 54% of millennials say they often, often, often feel anxious, depressed, or fearful. That, that means that over half of the people in this room right now sitting here are anxious about something. Over half of the people in this room right now, the there's a possibility that some of you are depressed. Right, right now, there's a, over half of the people in this room are fearful about something that is outside of the scope of their control. That They're fearful about something. And so... If Dr. Barner discovered that 54% of millennials often feel anxious, depressed, or fearful, it is no wonder that one claimed and noted clinical psychologist called millennials the anxious generation, the anxious generation. And so, so here's what I want to do. I, I'm going to give us a broad definition of, of, of anxiety, but there is a spectrum of the severity of anxiety, from, from mild worry to severe and extreme fear, right? And, and so th there's, there's this extreme part of it where people actually deal with this in, in real life, in real time, where, where it, it gets dicey for them. And so you have people who really deal with panic attacks. You also have people who have been diagnosed with, uh, uh, with OCD. There, there are people who actually have been diagnosed with bipolar Disorder. There are people who actually have what's called generalized anxiety disorder. There are people who actually have real-life PTSD. There are people who have been diagnosed with clinical depression. And so before we ascribe that to ourselves, here's what I do want to do. I, I want to honor and respect those that have been diagnosed with real mental or emotional disorders. I want to honor them and I want to respect them. I actually want to celebrate their courage and their willingness to actually go and seek help when going seeking help is not a popular thing to do. I, I want to I celebrate them. I want to I encourage them that they went out to seek 
help for their issues. The, the church should do a better job of, of encouraging and celebrating people that seek therapy and seek counseling. Because here's what I know, if somebody broke their arm and they walked in this church and they had a cast on their arm and the doctor put their arm in a sling at the emergency room so that their arm could be held in place so that eventually it could be healed, nobody in here would have a problem with it. So if I can do this for my physical injury, if my brain is broken or if my heart is broken, I should also be able to go to the doctor and let them work on me so that I can also be healed like a person that had a physical injury. If my arm is broken and I want to get it fixed, if my brain is broken, I should be able to get it fixed. And the church should celebrate me and see that it's right and good that I went to get help. And so we can't make it taboo. We need to celebrate it and encourage it, all right? Can we do that? We can make therapy and counseling normal in the church and not put a stigma on people who need to seek help. And so I want to give us a, a, a couple brief working definitions of anxiety. This is your run-of-the-mill, day-to-day, week-to-week anxiety. So the first definition says this, anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. But I love this next definition. It says this, here's what I really love. It says, anxiety is a future-oriented, chaotic, creative worry. I love that it says it's creative, because it means that we can oftentimes think of all kinds of things to worry about that's not even based on our current reality. You ever stayed up at night worrying about something that hadn't even happened yet? You don't already planned out the fifth and the sixth and the seventh step of how it's going to have an effect on your life? You going to work the next morning and you got a meeting, your boss is called a meeting, and so you've already planned out how you're going to respond when they tell you that they got to lay you off. You've already considered how you're not going to be able to pay certain bills. You've already looked at what you're going to pay and what you're not going to pay. You've already planned out how this is going to affect your credit score. You've already planned out how you're going to not have to tap into your savings and use money from your savings to help you pay the rent and pay the mortgage before you get kicked out. You're already trying to plan out how you're going to uh, downsize the car that you got and get one that's more affordable and now you're regretting decisions on the car that you bought. You're thinking about stuff that you bought from the store that you, didn't, should, that you shouldn't have bought. I knew I should have paid $100 for that shirt. I should have got the shirt that was $25 on sale and you thought of all these things and you get to work the next morning and your boss calls you in the office and the boss tells you you're doing a great job. You did all of that worrying, all of that, that creative worrying, thinking through all of those steps about something that didn't even happen and wasn't your reality. And so, and so it, it, what, what your anxiety actually does is it, it, it keeps you distracted from real reality. Oftentimes it's easier for us to dwell on things that might happen instead of what is happening. And let me tell you this, worrying and anxiety actually shortens your lifespan. It doesn't increase it. Matter of fact, it, it is worse for your health to be worrying than it is for you not to worry. Millions of people die every year because of stress-related health issues. 
Health in your internal body turns to things in your external body, and, 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 and you now have all of these diseases because you were just worrying and your body couldn't take it. And, and so anxiety and all of our emotions, here's what happens. Here's the reality. Anxiety and all of our emotions, really what it does is propels us into the reality that we're not home yet. Our anxiety is just a reminder. It's just a, a, an alarm that's going off telling us things ain't the way that they should be. The anxiety is just a reminder that something is not right in the world. It, it reminds us that things are not the way that they should be, that this is not what God intended for life. But as a result of the fall, we live in a sinful world, so there is much to fear and much to be concerned about. But when we, we feel this anxiousness about things and, and, and things don't seem right and they put a knot in the pit of our stomach and they weigh us down and we cry and we cry ourselves to sleep or we stay up at night or we pace the floor or we worry other people about things that have not happened yet. Really, it's just telling us you are not home yet and things are are not the way that they should be. And so what we should do as Christians is not be surprised. We should have a worldview that actually includes suffering, includes both physical suffering and also mental suffering. And so if we know that we live in a fallen world, we should expect that things will not be the way that they are. We should expect this. We, we should know that, that we will struggle. We will struggle with mental health issues just like we struggle with physical issues. But here's what I want to say. If you struggle in your emotions, if you have anxiety, if you stay up at night, here's what I want to tell you. If you are in Christ, you are not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by your emotions or the trauma that you've experienced in your life. You are defined by your identity in Christ Jesus. And so this is what Christianity has to offer the world. This is what Christianity has to offer. We have a God who has come to die for the sin that has brought about our worrying and our stressing. The cross was Jesus taking on the sin, the burden, and the punishment that we deserve so that in him we could have true everlasting life. He promised to one day return and raise us up with him and give us glorified bodies that is free of physical ailments and also emotional ailments. We will one day have uninterrupted peace and fellowship with God absent of mental emotional pain and turmoil if God is going to heal our physical bodies God is also going to heal our emotional bodies God is not going to work outside in when he comes back he's going to work inside out and so he's going to heal our internal self first and then heal us outwardly we will be healed wholly and comprehensively and so I want to read something to you here's a reminder a reminder for us, Romans 8, verses 22 through 23 says this. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too Wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Man, that's a beautiful promise. You know what that does for us as Christians? That in the midst of our, our suffering, 
we still have hope for a better future. That, that we suffer now, but the suffering is tolerable because we know that it won't be like this always. We know that the suffering is tolerable because one day this light momentary affliction will be not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that God is going to reveal to us. Everything now is just working up something so that when Jesus returns, it'll be that much sweeter. And so we as Christians, although we, we acknowledge the reality of emotional pain and suffering and trauma, we also know the reality that it won't be like this always. But we have to understand that. And so here's the good news. Even if you are emotionally sick, Jesus says it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you're in need of healing, I got good news. The healer has come. Here's what Jesus has done. More than physical, mental, and emotional healing, God knew first and foremost we needed forgiveness from our sins. God saw our brokenness and did not leave us there. He actually came to do something about it because at the root of all of our emotional pain, at the root of all of our emotional unhealth is the reality of sin. But Jesus took on both physical and emotional sin on the cross. Jesus has bared that burden for us. But maybe you're asking this question, if Jesus has dealt with our greatest problem, which is sin, why do I still battle and struggle in my mind and my emotions? If Jesus is who he says he is, and he is a healer, and he is a wonderful counselor, and he is the Prince of Peace, why am I still struggling? Why do I still worry the way I do? Why do I obsess over things that I can't control? Why am I just obsessing every night about my bills? Why am I obsessing about my career? Why am I obsessing about my child and where they are and what they're doing and what their future is going to become? Why am I obsessing about whether I'll have a spouse or not? Why am I obsessing and comparing my life to someone's life that they want me to see on social media? Why am I robbing myself of the joy of the Lord, basing my life on someone's life who only shows me what they want me to see? Why do I struggle in my soul with this anxiety? Why am I worrying about certain things that I have no control over? The reason why is because we live, although we are healed, we're as healed as we're ever going to be, but not yet healed. We live in what's called the not yet and the already. We're already healed, but not yet the way that we're going to be. Jesus already saved us, but we have not been saved in the way that we're going to be saved. And so while we live in this tension between the not yet and the already, guess what? We struggle because we still live in a fallen world. But the good news is that there is hope in Christ. There is something for us. There's an anchor for our soul. There's an anchor for our soul. There, there is something to hang our hat on. And so here's the thing. Not, not only is there hope, but there is grace for our weakness and our anxiety. Paul talks about how he had this thing on him, this thorn in his flesh. But then Paul said this, God hadn't taken away from me yet. But guess what? His grace is sufficient. 
And I want to tell you, I don't know what your thorn in the flesh is. I don't know what keeps you up at night, but God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is more than enough for you. God is not going to leave you where you are, but God, day by day, moment by moment, second by second, his grace is sufficient for your life. And it is an endless supply of grace, but we have to live in that reality. So here's what I want to say. God meets us in our weakness, not in our strength. God meets, meets us in our weakness, not in our strength. God meets us where we are weak, not in where we are strong. And I want to tell you this, God is with us. What does Jesus say to the disciples right when he's about to give, the, uh, at the end of giving the Great Commission? Here's what he says, and lo, I am with you always. When, when, when Moses is leading Israel, he tells Moses, I'll be with you. What does he say to Joshua? Be courageous, for I am with you. God is always promising his people that he'll be with them. And, and so God is not just leaving you by yourself in your struggle. Even when you don't feel him, he is still there. He is still there. And, and so, so oftentimes we have these negative emotions. Really what it does is it presents an opportunity for us to come and get to know God. That God would meet us right there in our struggle, in our weakness, in our anxiety. I love what Peter says. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 7 says this. I love this. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love that. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Here's what he's saying. Acknowledge that you need help. Acknowledge that you are in a struggle. You don't have to live in denial and say, I'm strong. I'm not weak. I'm strong. I'm strong. I can do anything. I'm strong. No, recognize, acknowledge you are human. You, you can't handle everything. There's too much pressure. There's too much, all of these things out of the world going on for you to say, I'm strong enough, I can handle this. No, God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and then cast your cares on him. Here's what cast means. Literally, throw your problems on him and let him care him for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So, here's what he's trying to say that God is willing to carry your burdens for you, that God is right there with you. Here's what I know about God. Oftentimes, God does not remove the obstacle or the cause of the stress, but he gives us grace and promises to be, be with us right there in it. You ever prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed some more? That, that God would take something off of you, that, that this one thing would change, that this one relationship would change, that this one situation would change, and it almost feels like God is saying, ah. <laughs> but God is not saying, nah, God is saying, I got something better. Because of this struggle, I'm right here with you. And as opposed to taking that, I'm going to sit with you in it. My, my presence is actually what I'm giving you. You wanted me to alleviate a thing, but I'm giving you myself. I'm, I'm here right with you in it. I'm, you use my strength. It's not your strength, but it's my strength that you use. And so here's what I want you to know, that, that when we have these negative emotions, it gives us an opportunity to know God. And, and so here's what happens. God brings stability to our lives. God, God not only brings stability but when we seek him and cast our cares on him, 
God exchanges our chaos and gives us his joy. Here's the difference between happiness and joy. Everybody in our culture is, is going to therapy essentially so that they can be happy. Happiness is a, is a buzzword of the day. Man, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. You deserve that. You deserve a good man. <laughs> you deserve a promotion at your job. You deserve a raise. Right? We say this. We say this. But here's what we need to know. Happiness is fleeting. You can get, you can get the relationship, and here's what you'll find out. If it's a relationship with another human. You'll soon find out that that happiness is fleeting. You ever got a new job? And for a minute, it was so much better than your old job. And then you realize your new job ain't that much different than your old job. You ever notice that? Here's the thing. Happiness is based on all of that fleeting, futile stuff. But God gives us joy. That says, regardless of whether I got a promotion, if I get a raise, if I'm single, if I'm married, if I'm up, if I'm down, I still have joy because it's not based on external circumstances, but it's based on what God has put on the inside of me. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Here's Paul on anxiety. This is the Apostle Paul on anxiety. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near, meaning he's right there with you. Guess what? Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says that you want peace. Don't worry. Present your request to God. Let it be known what you're dealing with. Get get. Essentially, cast your cares on him. So I'm wondering, what, what would Jesus say if he was my therapist? What, what would Jesus say if he was my therapist? I walked in his office and we sat on the floor because this is Palestine. So you sit on the floor and he's got his sandals out and, and I walk in his office and it's outside and there's camels walking behind us. And I sit down with Counselor Jesus. I wonder what he would say. I believe Matthew 6, 25 through 34 tells us what Jesus says. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount where he deals with this idea of anxiety, it comes on the heels of his call for total allegiance to God. Remember before this, he told them that you can't have two masters. You, you can't have two masters. You will serve one or love one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. He says that right before he gets to anxiety, almost as if to say, I know you got financial worries, and so here's the thing. You can't stress about money and idolize money and worship me at the same time. You can't have one without the other, and so if you do choose to worship me, here's the, here's the solution. Therefore, don't worry. Here's what he says. Don't worry. And the first thing Jesus says in our therapy session is, don't worry about your life. Jesus, let me tell you about what happened to me growing up. Jesus, let me tell you what happened with my friendships. Jesus, let me tell you how they betrayed me. Jesus, let me tell you 
why they ain't loyal. Jesus, let me tell you why I hate my job. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life. That'll be $150. <laughs> Session over. What? That's all you got, Jesus? Yeah. What did you expect? How would you like, how would you like your payment? I got cash out. I got Apple Pay. I got card. Yeah, I take, I take cash. I take crypto. Take Bitcoin. But notice in the same passage, he uses the word worry six times. It gives this idea that we strive after our own needs. And as we strive and work and work and work, it fills us with more and more anxiety. And so here's what happens in our anxiety when we stress about things. We sometimes subconsciously eliminate and take God out of the picture. What our anxiety actually communicates is that, God, I say I worship you, but I'm just a functional atheist. I live like you really don't exist because I'm worrying like this. What my worrying is communicating to you, God, even though I don't mean this and I will never say it, what I'm communicating is I don't trust you. God, I do not think that you are a good God. God, I know I say all the time to my friends, well, God is in control, but really, God, that's just something I say. I don't really believe that you are in control. That's why I stay up at night. That's why I stress out my spouse. That's why I worry people to death. That's why I keep thinking about my career. That's why I keep thinking about money, because, God, I really just don't trust you. God, I say I'm a believer, but, but my anxiety, God, what I'm really communicating to you, God, is that I think you're like the other people that have let me down. And so, God, really, I've just imposed on the people that have let me down. I've imposed that on you. And so, so because I couldn't trust them, God, what you want me to do? Really, God, I'm just here because if that heaven thing is real and that, that hell thing is real, I definitely don't want to go there. It gets really hot. And so, God, I'm just going to say what I need to say. But, but, but I don't, I don't tr- my pacing the floor means I don't trust you. That this pessimistic view of life, that this, this glass half empty or all the way empty or there's no water in the glass mentality that I have, that's really just me saying, God, I don't think you're a good God. So, so I have a pessimistic mindset. I, I, I love anticipating the worst because that's what I believe about you, that you will only hand me the worst. You put me in this family and all this drama and all these issues. My career is on the struggle bus. I ain't got no money. I've got these physical issues. You haven't healed me yet. I got all these things going on. God, what else should I expect from you besides the worst? And so I got to get it how I live. I got to do it on my own. And so this anxiety that he's talking about is a self-centered effort to go out and supply your own needs and create your own Eden. God, move out of the way. I got this. You don't know what you're doing, and I'm tired of waiting. I prayed. I fasted. I was at church on Tuesday with the saints, night of prayer, but you hadn't answered. It's Sunday now. I got to do what I got to do. You won't get me a man, I'll just get one on my own. I'll settle 
for less because you're not moving fast enough for my taste. I know I just got this job, but I'm ready to get a new one already. It's not what I, what I what was cracked up to be. I praised you, and I celebrated you, and I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's a new season, and it's a new day. It's my time. Breakthrough is here. But guess what I realized? I don't like this manager either. <laughs> Let me do something else. You can't take care of me the way I can take care of me. And here's what Jesus says. Don't worry about your life. How dare you insult me? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. So if I gave you life, if, if I brought you into this world, if, 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 I, if I brought you here, you think that I don't have the resources or capabilities to take care of you the way you need to be taken care of. You don't believe that about me. So, so I went through all of this work to fashion you in my image and made you fearfully and wonderfully and I put you into the earth to specific parents at a specific place at a specific time, but yet I don't know what I'm doing. This is what God, this is what he's saying. And he's saying this. When you see a baby, a brand new baby, no one expects the baby to get its own bottle. Nobody expect the baby just around here just creating his own breast milk. Nobody expects that from a child that's just been created. Because we expect that their parents will do that for them. And if we expect that about earthly parents, you don't think your heavenly father can take care of you? I want to say this about your anxiety because God is moving too slow and you don't have it figured out yet. I want to say this. If an 11-year-old asked you to drive your vehicle, would you let him? Why? They want it. They desire it. They think they can handle it. They cleaned up their room. They, they did good on their report card. They exhibited good behavior in class. Don't they deserve it based off of their work? They did all the right things that they were supposed to do and you won't give them the keys. It's because you don't love them. That's got to be the answer. But in reality, you don't give an 11-year-old keys because you do love them. Because you love them enough to know that if you gave them the keys at 11, they'll kill you and everybody else. And it's not that you're not going to ever give them keys. You're just not giving them keys right now. And to that 11-year-old, the wait to turn 16 seems like an eternity. But it's not. But if they would just wait patiently and just be a child. Just enjoy what they have right now. Ride that 10 speed. 
ride that school bus. Put them earphones in your ear. Put them, put them earbuds in your ear. Be a kid. Be, be a preteen. Enjoy your life. Enjoy these free bills. Enjoy this free rent. Enjoy this free mortgage. Enjoy all these free lights. Enjoy this free streaming. Enjoy this free Netflix. Enjoy this free Apple TV. Enjoy this free Amazon Prime. Enjoy all of these amenities while you have it because right now you don't understand how good you got it, but be thankful for right now what you do have. And that's all God is saying to you. If I'm taking care of you right now, what do you think I'm going to do later? So, Jesus uses two analogies to demonstrate his ability to take care of us. He used two, two illustrations. He uses birds and he uses flowers. Here's what he says in verses 26 through 30. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the richest king in all of Israel, in all his splendor, was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? Oh, you have little faith. Y'all be in here. How much more? How much more? I see you. If he dresses the lilies. <laughs> Don't believe a word of it. You know why he says this about birds? When birds migrate, you notice they never take luggage. They, they never have to take anything on the road for the trip. <laughs> you ever figured, you ever wondered that? And somehow, when they get to where they're going, they have what they need. And they had nothing to do with it. And if that's just a bird, and you're the crown of creation, the one shaped and formed and created in his image and in his likeness, if a bird, Luke calls it a raven, which is the most unclean bird. In Luke's rendition, he calls it a raven, the most unclean bird. If God can take care of something like a bird, how much more will he take care of you? He talks about the wildflowers. They don't spin thread, yet a wildflower is beautiful. They, they have nothing to do with how they look. They're adorned better than Solomon, who was the king, the richest king in Israel. And if, if they look better than Solomon... Don't you think God will clothe you too? And here's the point. The point is that both the birds and the wildflowers instinctively trust God. They just instinctively trust God to supply their needs. We experience so much more of God and we still don't trust. And so this is an invitation to trust God. I want to say this, this is, not a, this is not permission to laziness. 
you need to work. We should work hard. As Christians, we should work hard. We should do our best. I sound like a broke, I know y'all, oh, okay, here you go with the work thing again. Always coming for me and my job <laughs> and my work ethic. But we should work hard, incredibly hard. We should be prudent. We should, we should plan. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about obsessing. This is where it becomes sin and unbelief. When, when we take it too far, when we can't sleep at night, we're tossing and turning, worrying about things that we have no control over. There is a difference between not trusting God at all, but working and trusting him at the same time. And this is what he's calling us to do. So much so, he asked the rhetorical question, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Can't add anything to your life by it. Here's what he says, oh, you of little faith. He's not saying that they don't have faith at all. He's just saying that their faith is inadequate. Their faith is not like the faith of a believer that trusts God to take care of them. And so ultimately, here's what he's saying. Jesus is inviting us to trust him with all of our needs and concerns about our future. This is what he's saying. He's inviting us to trust. Your, your anxiety is an opportunity for you to trust God, to, to know that he is with you, to know that he has promised to not leave you nor forsake you. How will you know that unless you have to experience something that puts you in that predicament? And so here's what he says in verses 31 through 34. He says this to him. He says, don't be anxious about what you eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear. For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after these things. Here's what was interesting. When Barna did that research, he said one of the things that millennials are anxious about and stressed about, he also talked about Gen Z, the ones that are behind millennials, that are teenagers now, I think they're around the age of somewhere between uh, 16 to, to, to age 24 maybe, they're out of the water. Like they, they blow it out of the water with anxiety, right? But here's what he says about millennials. One of the primary causes of their worry is decision making, which has been brought about because they have so many options. So many options, so many choices to make. And obviously this has been exacerbated by social media. We have so many options right before us. So what ends up happening is you want the best option that will lead to your happiness and no sorrow. Right? You, this, is, this is the option that you want. And so what ends up happening is you analyze, you analyze it so much you become paralyzed. And so you don't do nothing. Or you make one decision and you easily, as soon as you make it, you regret it and say, I should have chose something, choose something else. Because you had all these options. And then what else, he, what, another thing he discovered was when he asked him, so how do you go about decision making? Now, mind you, they said they often feel anxious, depressed, and fearful. Often feel anxious, depressed, and fearful. Often feel anxious, depressed, and fearful. And he said, how do you make your decisions then? by our feelings. 
I said, well, golly. So millennials are making decisions based off of the most unstable thing in their lives. <laughs> Our feelings. And here's what I need you to know. Your feelings are not king. Your feelings are not primary. Your feelings are fleeting. Your feelings are not final. Your feelings are fleeting. What is final is your faith. So here's what anxiety does. And I'll be quick. Here's what anxiety does. I'll give you two things that anxiety does. Two things that anxiety reveal and expose. The number one thing that anxiety does, it exposes our futile attempt to be in control. We just want to be in control. We just want to be in control. But that wanting to be in control is a lack of faith. Second thing that anxiety does, that it often reveals our idols. And it reveals to us the things that have become way too important. Family, finances, vocation, but mainly yourself. Two things anxiety revealed and exposed. Number one, it exposes our futile attempts to be in control, which really is just a lack of faith. Number two, is that our anxieties reveal our idols by showing us things that have become way too important for us, our family, our finances, our vocation, our self. And, and so really, our, 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 our idols, we make these things our idols because we find our significance and our security in them. So here's what I tell you. If you're always thinking about yourself, you will always be anxious. Because you'll always be able to find a problem with you. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not slim enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have enough money. I didn't come from a right family. I didn't go to this school. I don't have this job. How can that not bring anxiety? But here's what Jesus says. Here's God's solution. Matthew 6, You quote it all the time. Now we can put it in its proper context. Here's what he says. As opposed to focusing on yourself all the time, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things you've been stressing about will be provided for you. Does that make sense? And so here's my main point. Here's, here's, here, I said all of that to say this. Take this home. This is my main point of the message. If you don't hear nothing else, the antidote to anxiety is to seek the kingdom first. The antidote to your anxiety is to seek the kingdom first. And what that does is it takes our eyes off of ourselves and fixes our gauge outward on something else. God invites us to be a part of something that is beyond and more significant than ourselves. The antidote to anxiety is to seek the kingdom of God first. Seek representing God. Seek his rule. Seek his way of living. When it says seek first, it doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to seek God first, and then I'm going to get back to my other stuff. No, it literally means that the kingdom of God is the primary thing in my life. What would the church look like if we had anxiety for the kingdom the way we do about other stuff.
what if we were all zealous to see the kingdom expanded? What if we were all zealous to see souls saved? When's the last time you stayed up at night saying, I sure wish my neighbor was saved? When's the last time you paced the floor? Not with anxiety and worrying about things you can't control. But when's the last time you paced the floor? Saying, God, I know I'm on this job. It don't pay me enough money. But God, it ain't about that. God, I thank you for this opportunity to just work. And God, I'm going to be a good steward. I know you sent me there to do the job, but God, you sent me there for a greater purpose. God, let me be a witness to all of my neighbors and my coworkers. God, use me to influence my boss. God, use me to change and transform this place. God, open up doors of opportunity to speak to these people that I see every day on my lunch break. God, use my life to the best, to the best of my ability. God, I want to be more like you. God, make me your ambassador at this job. God, I want to see everybody in here saved. God, when I walk in the door, I want things to change. God, let everybody know that there's something different about me. God, I know that they'll look at me, God, but I'm going to point them straight to you, God. Use my life. Let everything that I do have some eternal value, some eternal significance. God, I ain't stressing about no paycheck. I'm not stressing about no promotion. It'll be nice, but that ain't why I'm here. God, I'm here to, for you to use me in whatever way you see fit. And whenever you say this season here is up, it'll be up then. But until now, God, I'm going to wait and steward my waiting well. I'm not going to have anxiety about things I have no control over, but I will be anxious about the kingdom of God. I will worry about souls being saved. I will worry about how you'll use my life to save other people. That's a good anxiety. When's the last time you did that? And this is what he's calling us to. This is an invitation to leave the preoccupation with yourself and be preoccupied with the things of God. And so here's what Jesus does He says, Give me your worry, and I'll give you a good worry. Because all anxiety is not bad anxiety. There's also good anxiety. And this is what he calls us to be zealous for. So I want to read you this. Read you this quote from Dr. Eugene Peterson. This is what he says. Dr. Eugene Peterson says this about this passage. He says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Last verse says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here's what I'm going to say. God is inviting us in to stop striving to work to earn something. He invites us to start seeking his kingdom. We can go from striving that brings anxiety to seeking the kingdom by God's grace. Here's what God says to us. Give me your anxiety. Give me your worry. I'll sit with you. I'll take what is heavy and I'll make it light. I'll take it from you. What anxiety do you need to give to God? Who do you need to give to God?
So this morning, the invitation is for you to just say, God, here's this, here's this thing that I've made an idol. And here's the thing, it could be something good. But you've turned it into something that is sinful because you obsess about it. And God said, let's put this in its proper place. Give that to me, and I'm going to give you something else to be concerned about. Are you concerned about the kingdom the way you're concerned about tomorrow morning? Do you lay awake at night pleading with God to be glorified in the world? Do you, does, it, does it put a knot in your stomach to encounter people every day and they not know Jesus? Has it ever brought you to tears that your family member isn't saved? God says, let that be your concern because I got that under control. Let that be your concern. This other stuff, what you'll drink, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, who you'll marry, where you'll get another job, the next city you'll move to. God says, that's not a primary importance because wherever you are, whoever you're with, I'll be there with you. I take care of that too. So if you came in heavy this morning, you came in with brokenness, God says, give it to me. My grace is sufficient. Give it to me. Whatever's, whatever's hurting your soul, God says, I'll sit with you in that pain. Don't deny your pain. Don't deny your pain. Don't deny your trauma. Don't, don't deny that you need help. Don't deny that you need counseling. Don't deny any of that stuff. Be, be real with yourself. I'm hurting. I'm broken. This is driving me crazy. I have a knot in my stomach. It brings me to tears. I don't know where this family member is. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I don't know what's going to happen in my future. I'm lonely. I need something. God, I need you. God, I'm broken. That's okay. God says, I'm with you in it. Just worship me right there. Don't obsess about it. Go, go to bed. Go, go to sleep. Here's a sign that you trust me. Go to bed. Some of you need to leave here, get the best meal you ever had, and get on your couch and go straight to sleep. Because what has not sleeping brought you? He's just giving you more time to be worried. It had added one benefit to your life. Not one. Here's what I'm saying. One day we will no longer, this will no longer be an ideal, but it'll be our reality. Because here's what Jesus promises. He promises to return and heal all of our brokenness from the inside out. That right there in your anxiety, in your worry, in your stress, there's a promise from God to return and make all things new. We oftentimes think that when Jesus comes back, he's going he's gonna to heal those who had cancer. 
He's going to heal those who had heart issues. He's going to heal those who, who, who had a stroke. He's going to heal those with physical deformities. But we forget that he ain't just going to renew and redeem broken physical bodies. He's going to renew and redeem broken emotional bodies. Because his healing is going to happen from the inside out. For his glory. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.